Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. And I'm your host, Shelly Prevost. We are the podcast for the Big Self School, and we offer classes, coaching, and books to help you rediscover your purpose and activate it in bigger ways. Today, we have on Jordan Gross. Jordan believes that personal development is a never-ending process of imagining who you want to be, interpreting why you want to be that person, creating a plan to get there, and then implementing that plan in the most enjoyable and fulfilling of ways possible. He helps guide people to think differently and make daring changes in their lives. Jordan is trailblazing in the personal development field by using creative storytelling to allow people to gather their own insights from the characters he creates and the stories he shares. He's a former startup founder, restaurant manager, and soccer goalie. Yes, he's done a lot of variety of things, had a lot of life experience, and you know, he's right now a solopreneur. He's also a podcast host and a two times TEDx speaker, both of which I've seen. They're very inspiring. He's also the number one best-selling author of Getting Comfy, your morning guide to daily happiness and also the journey to cloud nine. Jordan Gross, welcome to the show. Hey, Jordan. Hey, Shelly. Hey, Chad. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I'm really excited for our conversation this morning. I can't wait to get started. Yeah, people yeah. people are gonna love this. They're gonna love you. Um, I think that yeah. the the mashup of storytelling and personal development that I'm learning that you do is really creative and inspiring and thought provoking. So I know people are gonna love this. I want to jump into. Let's just dive in. Yeah. So you have written on Medium. Um, I read about uh, your experiences of close but no cigar in your personal and professional life and how you've experienced those at different times. So I wanted to see if you could just share a little bit about those experiences um, and and your soccer journey, which I think is really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I I love starting there. And and it's funny, after I put out this piece, I actually had people, because Medium is such a global platform, I Mm -hmm. actually had reach out saying, I'm not familiar with that expression, close but no cigar. I, I don't know what you meant when you wrote that. So just for any listeners out there who don't see the expression as familiar, close but no cigar basically means, it, it, it basically means I got close to where what I wanted, but I didn't quite get there. I didn't quite get the job offer, the the soccer position, the school that I wanted to to go to. So that's essentially what these stories are about. So in particular with the soccer journey, this is where my life started. I think since I was, it's funny, when I was a five-year-old and I was uh, peewee playing soccer, I would be on the field and I would just cry and run into my dad's arms because I didn't actually want to play. So we didn't yeah. think that I had the <laughs> athletic gene at first, but my dad was really smart and he ended up because I wanted him by my side, he had me play goalie so that he could stand closer because he could be behind the field, still off the field. Um, mm. Whereas if I was on the field, he was so far away and I would just cry and run off again. Oh, so good dad. That's yeah. a good dad move. He's a great dad. Um, so I started playing goalie and I stopped crying. And bit by bit, I started liking goalie more and more. So from age five until... 
this journey um, into playing soccer at, at college, I soccer was my whole life. I played five days a week. I did individual personal goalie training on the side, and I was a part of this team that was amazing. And we were the top team on Long Island in New York, and then we won the New York State Championship four years in a row when we were like ages 10 to 15. And then being that it was so serious, it was okay, now this this could be a life, this could be a career, um, this could at least be something that gets you into college. So that's really all that I wanted. I, I didn't think about academics when it came to my college choices. All I wanted was to play soccer at a top school. Mm-hmm. So I wrote out all these emails to college coaches and in the soccer process, it's, it's like scouting for any sport. The coaches will, if they like you, they'll come to watch a game. And then once they watch the game, they'll decide if they want to talk to you further. And if they talk to you further, they'll invite you to their school for a visit. And then hopefully they'll offer you uh, admission to their school based on a soccer scholarship or something like that. So I sent out all these emails and um, thankfully people wanted to come to the games. But even at the games, it was like this this funny, unlucky experience where I, I remember one game in particular um, in the first half, the coach... Uh, coaches came from a couple different schools that I wanted to go to and being a goalie I I did nothing like my team was up three nothing and I didn't have to make any saves I didn't even touch the ball (laughs) they they left at halftime but then in that second half of the game it's kind of like almost unheard of but the other team had two penalty kicks and I stopped both of them but no coaches were there to see it so I kind of got a little bit unfortunate. Um, we'll talk about luck, I think, a little bit later on. But yeah, anyway, yeah. I, I, was, yeah. I was in a position where people were coming, but I wasn't getting any any bites. Nobody was giving me offers. And what ultimately ended up happening was I went down to a couple of different camps that these schools had. And at the camps, I, I practiced harder than ever before the camps. And when I got there, I played super well. And then I remember at the end of every camp, I would get together with the coach and the goalie coach and they would give me a breakdown of where I stood and I'd say five or six of these camps they'd say how great I was and and how much they appreciated me being there but I just I wasn't quite at the top of their list I was number two number three if another person didn't accept their offer then they would come to me right after Um, but I never got that afterward phone call I guess everybody took their offers and and uh, a position on a team that I wanted to play at was not in the cards for me. So I ended up going a different route. I ended up going to school at Northwestern based on my academics as opposed to soccer. And then the story continues to unfold from there. Well, that's true. So while, you know, I'm, I'm sorry about the, um, you know, (laughs) the second place uh, that happened there with, your soccer journey, um, of course, that, you know, has to sting a little bit. But of course, in other ways, it led to other good things. You go to Northwestern, yeah. go Wildcats, right? They had a good they had a good um, football year this this Great. past year. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and so, well, and, you, you know, I guess we're fast forwarding, but we go all the way to your senior year yeah. and you start trying to get into, you spend your senior year trying to get into some pretty prestigious consulting firms. Um, and yet you had some kind of similar, you know, parallel experiences. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's so funny how parallel of an experience it really is. Like I mentioned with soccer, I, I didn't 
really have like an academic desire. I was very narrow focus. I just wanted one goal. I wanted to be that soccer player who was a goalie on a great team. And just like that with consulting fast forwarding to my senior year of college, I just wanted to work at a top firm. I, I didn't really care about anything else. If it was going to be a good work-life balance, if I was going to be doing something that I was passionate about, I just wanted the prestige of that consulting position. So I decided consulting was the route for me because I was largely following my my peers, my fraternity brothers. I ended up doing club soccer, so a lot of those guys as well. And it was one of those, you know, uh, I'm doing air quotes right now, but opportunities to have great exit opportunities when I left the consulting world and, and figured out what I ultimately wanted to do. That's what I thought would happen going into yeah. consulting. So when I heard about the consulting process, I heard that getting interviews was usually quite difficult, but it was largely based on networking, which is something that I, I don't even say the word networking. I just say finding new friends. And it was really great for me because I had no problem reaching out to people at various firms, talking to them about life and their careers and asking them questions. And then ultimately what happens is those people would put in referrals and then I would get interviews. So I think I got like 10 or 11 first round interviews at these consulting firms. Um, Sounds promising. It was pretty promising. Yeah, absolutely. And then after that, I always thought I was going to nail the interview processes because I, I've always been told I'm pretty personable and I can speak clearly and, and answer questions and, and show that I really you know want a certain position. But there was also these case interview studies that I had to do. So I did a ton of studying for those case interviews where they essentially put you in a, a business type situation and you have to show how you're going to respond and, and problem solve. And I studied for those really hard. I did it with friends. I did it with family. Um, I did it with some former and, and current consultants themselves, and I thought I, I did pretty well at these interviews. And, and in the second round, uh, I ended up getting about five callbacks, and, and that was also kind of very promising. Not many people had that many callbacks, and then it was usually a three-round interview process. So after the second round, um, I had five interviews, and then after that would be the offer. So I did all these interviews, and then I waited. And then I waited some more and I waited some more. And ultimately, I got these cookie cutter emails just saying that I, you know, it was a competitive applicant pool and I wasn't going to be given a spot. So that's what happened with consulting, too. It was kind of like, OK, you made it through the first round, you made it through the second round. And ultimately, you're, you're close, but no cigar. You're just not exactly what we want at this current time. So I'm listening to you. I'm thinking about if people, people that listen to the podcast know I talk about this book all the time, which is Parker Palmer's Let Your Life Speak. And it's a small little book about how life, um, instead of us telling life what we're going to do with it, let life show us who we are. Mm. So I'm really interested in how you interpreted these events. Um, what do you think it was revealing like what was life revealing to you that maybe even led you to where you are right now? Yeah, absolutely. That's and by the way, I want to read that book. I I love little books. Um, That's so good. Yeah, so good. I I need to write that down. Or you need to send it to me after. But yes, I will do that. 
I think something that this was showing to me, especially as I look back now, this was, I'm 26 now, so this was four years ago. Um, I realized that I was still going through the motions at that time. I wasn't doing something that I was passionate about. I think a lot of the employers could see that there was sort of a facade that I was putting up, that that I didn't really want to go into consulting. I didn't really know why I wanted that position other than the reason that it was what people like me were expected to do at that time. So when I look back at the experience, I, I find that it was really telling that I hadn't discovered myself yet. I hadn't figured out exactly where I wanted to go. And quite honestly, I, I didn't do a good enough job of acting in those interviews to show them otherwise. But I'm so glad that I didn't act in a way that got me those positions because mm-hmm. who knows where I would be now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you have really gone into some very interesting directions uh, I guess over those four years and not all of which you necessarily were, were trained in, um, you know, it led you to the world of positive psychology. I guess I'm kind of curious how you um, maybe stumbled into that, but you're also now uh, a published author of a couple of books with another one coming out. You've, uh, you've done some speaking, you're an editor of a top uh, digital magazine. You're also a coach. So that led you to looking in some new directions. Could you tell us about sort of your, your current life transition and, yeah. and how you, uh, you came into all of, all of these experiences? Absolutely, Chad and Shelley. Yeah. So not getting into the consulting firms actually led me into, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I was, I was actually on my spring break trip when I got the acceptance letter. Um, I was out in, in Mexico and, and I got a call from a Northwestern, uh, admissions officer that I had gotten into their master's program in management studies. So that's what I ended up doing my year after school. I did a fifth year at Northwestern in Kellogg school okay. of management, and I studied leadership and management and things like that. I had been running a, a small organization for Alzheimer's awareness. And I thought it was going to be a really great place to just continue to, to learn about leadership and growing a, an organization like that. So that year was really eye-opening for me because uh, the academic course load wasn't super rigorous. I had an opportunity to really explore the startup world in Chicago. I had an opportunity to explore podcasts and start to read books. And I dove deep into the personal development world that year. And I kept hearing this word passion, 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 go do what you're passionate about, do something now, you know, don't focus on the money, don't focus on the prestige, all things that I wasn't doing when I was back in college. And I ended up going into the restaurant industry after my master's program. I I thought restaurants were where I wanted to to land my ship. I, I thought that's what I wanted to do with my life because of the the creativity and the ingenuity that is involved with it. And I love food. Um, <laughs> I went into this uh, program with a, a privately owned restaurant group. I did like a leadership and management rotational program, but I quickly realized it was as corporate as if I were to have done the consulting gigs or gone into investment banking or something. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It was it was a very intense experience, and and that really leads into how I got into the world of positive psychology because after four months, whereas some other of the other kids in my program 
were finishing up 14, 15 hour days with, with tears rolling down their eyes. It was really that intense at times. Um, I was always positive. I was always happy. I, I kind of looked at it through uh, a different perspective and I asked myself why. And I largely attributed that to my morning routine. So my first book, after I, I quit that gig in November 2017, I self-published in January 2018. And that was called Getting Comfy, Your Morning Guide to Daily Happiness. And it was my five-step morning routine, C-O-M-F-Y is an acronym. And ultimately, I figured out what to do when you self-publish a book. So that's when I started doing some speaking, some podcasting, some coaching, writing articles, editing articles, writing more books. Um, and ultimately, it's led me down this path of ultimately just how can I help people as much as possible. So it's mm -hmm. all culminating in right now, actually, in a couple of weeks, I'm going back to school again to get my master's in social work and become a licensed therapist. So I can formalize this process a little bit more and just continue to help as many people as I can in as many ways as I can. I love that. So I, I have a similar but kind of inverse experience okay. where yeah. <clears throat> I was a practicing therapist oh, wow. for 12 years, you know, uh -huh. had a private practice and did all uh -huh. that. And I too, like was, you know, thinking through, you know, more optimism, more resilience, like how can I, um, instead of just treating pathology, how can I kind of optimize life a little yeah. bit more and helping people mm -hmm. in that direction. And that's when I discovered positive psychology and I was like, mm -hmm. oh, these are my people. I'm home. It was uh, wonderful. And, you know, and I really haven't left kind of that, that space, that academic, the research, the thinking, yeah. um, those are definitely my people. So because you're, my, you're well, my people. Well, because as you say, <laughs> you, you don't always just want to be taking people from negative five to zero. You want to be taking people from say zero negative to five. five. Right. Yes. yes. That Martin Seligman Ted talk is, is like the, the ultimate talk for yep. positive psychology. It's so amazing. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So let's shift a little bit. Um, let's talk about luck. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that earlier. And it's, you know, Chad and I have been thinking and talking a lot about this recently, kind of the role of luck. Yeah. And um, there's, you know, the How I Built This podcast yeah. um, that he, they always ask that question. And it's really interesting to, to hear people's perspectives on was it hard work or luck that led to success? It is. And they always, of course, say that it was luck. Yeah, you know? which <laughs> I think is honestly kind of a BS answer, but, right. but let's see. Yeah. What does Jordan Gross think? Yeah. So I, I'm not like a very definitive person. I, I never use like absolutes. So I, I think it's both. It's moderation. I think it's mm -hmm. a little bit. I think it's a lot of bit of hard work and, and sorry, a lot of bit of luck. Um, but for me, I truly, truly believe in the power of luck. You, you'll see even with like my life's motto, my advice for people, how much I, I think luck plays a role in our every day. But I, I view luck almost as, as sort of like an extreme gratitude practice mm -hmm. where it, it's funny. My, when I was in high school and I just started to learn how to drive, my mom, every single time I went from point A to point B, when I got to point B, I had to send my mom a text message that I was safe and I arrived at my destination. I'm so glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, exactly. And, and I'm so, you know, I was so frustrated as a, as a 
rowdy teenager that I, I didn't ever want to text her. It would, you know, block the the time I was spending with my friends. I would forget sometimes. And I never really yeah. understood why. I mean, the only reason I thought why she wanted me to do that was just to make sure I was safe. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more it made sense to me that like so many different things can happen on on a drive. So many different things can happen before you go to an interview, before you play a soccer game that I, you're or, or me, I, I'm so lucky that I did get somewhere safe. I'm so lucky that I did have the opportunity to play soccer. I'm so lucky that I did even get the chance to interview at these places, right? So many different variables could have come into play for me not to have had that luck. So I try to take luck down to a very micro, micro level and just say, you know, like, it's even lucky, like, it's the luckiest thing that I was born in the United States to a a beautiful family that gave me opportunities to succeed in this way. So I I try to take luck to the next level and say, like, yes, that that gives me a perspective that um, even though hard work continues us forward and pushes us to the next level, I think it starts with the luck. Wow. Okay. That, yeah, that's, that's powerful. And is that related to what your, your life motto is? Could you, what, what is your, your life motto that kind of keeps you driving to, to reach these pinnacles, even if you don't always necessarily land the thing at the time that, that you wanted? Yeah. So my my life's motto also comes from my mom. Funny enough, she's a huge influence in my life. It's just that whenever I want to go do something, whenever I think about, you know, pushing uh, out a new project or coming out with a new book or going up to the the, the girl that I like. Um, I'll always remember, my mom always tells me that crazier things have happened. So it's that, <laughs> That's belief, right. it's that belief that, sure, you know, what you want can happen. Crazier things have happened in the world. So there's an opportunity for this one thing that you want to happen to happen. Um, and that is, that's the beautiful motto that I live by. And then it, it sort of goes hand in hand with this whole luck conversation, my, my advice to other people or my, my rule that I have for my life is, is just to sort of give in to life's unpredictability. That's what I would say to people who are going after things that they want. Give in to the unpredictability. Be a student of life. Much like Shelley said with the book you recommended, just kind of allow, a, like, learn from the experiences, right? Don't have preconceived notions going into something, but allow them to happen and then figure out the reasons why they happened afterward, take away your learnings, and then go in the direction that tells your story in the best way. Yeah. You know, as as we, as I think about this idea of failure, Mm -hmm. right? So, so there's really a couple, several different ways to think about failure. Um, and, you know, your perspective around that is really um, life-giving, you know, it's not life-ending. And yeah. so yeah, like the that. fact that you've had these these kind of hurdles, you know, these obstacles in your way and you've the way that you've reframed them. So I think there is this element of luck. I think there's this element of mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to read real quickly. You put it in one of your articles, and I've mm-hmm. actually seen this a few times lately, this story, uh, the short story. And I wanted to read it because I think it's really powerful. Um, and it speaks to your theme of living into this kind of unpredictability. So an old farmer was tending his crops when his horse ran away upon hearing the news, his neighbor came to visit such bad luck. He said sympathetically, maybe the farmer replied, 
The next morning, the horse returned, bringing with it three other wild horses. How wonderful, the neighbor exclaimed. Maybe, replied the farmer. The following day, the farmer's son tried to ride one of the untamed horses. He was thrown and broke his leg. The neighbor again came to offer his sympathy. That is so terrible, he shared with the man. Maybe, answered the farmer. The day after, military officials came to the village to draft young men into the army. Seeing that the son's leg was broken, they passed him by. The neighbor congratulated the farmer on how well things had turned out. Maybe, said the farmer. I love this story. That has I have seen this several times. I, I feel like yeah. life is telling me to pay attention to this story because it keeps showing up. Um, so I think that perspective, I really want people to hear that in your yeah. story, that you you've become a master at reframing and, and uh, rethinking about challenges is something that is absolutely unpredictable because they're part of life. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love those Zen stories. Uh, they're so fun, but yeah, it's, you know, even, even the little, like my, my, my girlfriend rolls her eyes because if we're playing like a board game and we lose, she'll, she'll get a little more upset than me. And I'll be like, I, you know, I don't care if we lose. It's more of a learning experience. <laughs> so it, it, it's funny. It, it comes out all the time. Um, but it's, it's one of those beliefs that not too many people comprehend at, at face value. But really, when you think about it, anything can happen like what happened in the farmer's life. So we have to be content with no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. And you keep going, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So if we're uh, while we're thinking about failure for a minute, I think that it is such an interesting concept because if you really take failure and you have it with the the right mindsets, you you can develop this resilience and be listening to your life. But I think our culture really resists failure or or like identifying with failure. And actually, yeah. I get it too because it's like you want to fail fast, right? You, you want to like take failure and kind of keep learning, but, and you don't want to put a, a period on it and define something as failure. And, but like, I, I also feel like, and sometimes like there is a point where we need to go, like, we need to identify, Hey, something isn't working. Uh, how can I sort of at least put a comma on it so that I can reframe and, and move forward? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's sort of like the point where, I mean, even I, being a writer and, and much like you guys know, I, the words are so powerful. So even not using the word failure, like I, I replace that word with redirection all the time. Hmm. The failures is they're just redirections, they're, they're pivots, whatever word you want to use. And I, I often give three different ways to redirect after you get to that point you mentioned chad where you just can no longer continue to do the same thing over and over again i think it's like that definition of insanity is yeah you're going to do the same thing and and get the same results um number one is is i urge people to change up their strategy or change up the goal that they're actually going for um number two would be to, to go to somebody who's done it before so if you keep failing at something, doing it your own way, why not go to somebody, a mentor, a guide who has actually achieved what you want to do and ask for their advice? And then the third one is my favorite because it's all about creativity and problem solving, um, which is my little space in the personal development world is this creative angle. 
is Finding the Third Door. So Alex Benayan wrote this great book all about this concept of the third door that basically says so many people are trying to go through doors one and two to achieve something. Um, the example he uses is, is getting into a bar. Like going through door one would be, you know, waiting online and, and then trying to get into the bar in that way. Going through door two would be trying to get to know somebody at the bar, whether it's the bouncer or the bartender or the owner, and then trying to get into the bar in that way. Um, the third door, which is pretty uncommon, would be going with your buddies and sneaking through a back window, dressing up as one of the workers in the kitchen, and then ultimately you know, changing into your bar attire once you get into the doors. And that's how you get into the bar is through that third door. So I, I always think there's a third door. I always think there's a way to achieve the accomplishment you're setting out to do. Um, so getting creative with it and figuring out novel ways to approach your goals, uh, that's what's most fun to me. I, I try to bring fun to personal development in life um, so, so that that route is, is ideal. Yeah, this the failure is something I've really, I've, I mean, I've know it fairly intimately over the last few years and I hate it. Mm. Um, I, I'm not as optimistic or as welcoming a failure as it sounds like you might be Jordan mm. in your life. I disdain it. I hate it. I don't want, I've, I want to do everything well. Yeah. Um, but I've come to appreciate it. I can say that. So I think that, you know, you mentioned earlier kind of, you know, these, the setbacks or the close, but no cigar, was a lot of kind of living out what had been constructed for you. And I think that we, like, you know, Richard Rohr talks about the first half of life, that we kind of, we construct this ego. We have to. Part of the human experience is constructing an ego. And a lot of times we do that from other people's input, you know, even just culturally. And so we create this narrative of who we're supposed to be, even uh, if it's not really who we are. And I think these setbacks, and it sounds certainly sounds like this is your experience. It's almost like the ego becomes this exoskeleton that we walk through life with. Mm. And these setbacks are like chiseling that away. It's like you have to, you have to, we have to go through this stuff to yeah. get to the essence, the very, very like deep core true self. Absolutely. And so to see you living that out now, um, that you had to kind of chip away at some stuff to get to this, I think is really important for, you know, I want to say that. So people hear that, that this is part of the, our life. This is part of the human experience is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. And, and I, I fully, I love that point. And to expand on that, even just a little bit, you mentioned like different phases of life. It, and mm -hmm. I think to defining where you are in your life. With yeah. me, I, I've I've really defined that, and it, it's funny because it kind of comes from Meg Jay's The Defining Decade. My 20s are about experimentation. I am still in a place where I am learning and trying new things, and I am failing, and I am learning, and I am failing again, and I am redirecting, and I am assessing where I went right and where I went wrong. So that, that might be why in this point in my life, I am more open to failure. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I'm going to be as a 50-year-old with children and a family. Uh, maybe I will have a totally different view where I need to succeed so failures are more painful. Um, all I could say is that because I've defined where I'm at right now, 
uh, I'm so much more open to failing. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think it's a lot about personality too. You know, I'm a, uh, my personality type really kind of over identifies with, with work. Like that's my identity. And so when that doesn't work (laughs) then I'm really, I really struggle with that. So yeah. who knows yeah. what the personalities do with but, and, well, and I think that's good perspective on, on your own, um, your own part, Jordan, and you, you're doing a lot of experimentation with, in your twenties. Um, and a lot of, you're finding a lot of successes too. Well, and speaking of some of these things, you know, you talk about co- the comfy acronym. Yeah. Um, is this still one of your practices or routines or could you tell us what practices? I want to know what comfy yeah. means. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and what, what works for you now? Yeah, so comfy is my morning routine. I, I still have a semblance of it every single morning. Um, let, let's have a little fun. We'll we'll do half of it together. So C, if if you want to join me, just take a deep breath in through the nose and out through the mouth. Uh. So C, <laughs> yeah, C stands for calm. And a big part of this acronym, this comfy acronym, it it comes from Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning, which is the savers model, I believe. Uh, But I was trying out that morning routine and I just started making it my own. And instead of making set demands for people, I wanted to provide categories. So you see that with C. C stands for calm. It doesn't stand for deep breathing. It doesn't stand for meditation. So within this realm, there are a number of suggestions that I have that you can do. So one of them in the- I feel better already right now. Is a deep breath, just like we did ourselves. So I'll wake up and I'll just do a deep breath. But something other, something else that's kind of cool is that this comfy routine has turned into anything that's stress or anxiety inducing. So I kind of boiled down to the why a morning routine is so important because people are stressed and anxious going into the rest of the day. So for instance, when I give a, when I gave my, one of my TED Talks, I got comfy before it, before it, I started with getting calm. And then I went on to the other four components, which we'll describe now. So to keep having a little fun um, for, oh, oh, uh, I'm not going to say what it is. Sorry. Um, Chad and Shelly, I'm going to ask you just to quickly reveal something that made you smile yesterday. Smile yesterday. The um, Chad cooking salmon for me. <laughs> hmm. Um, oh, thinking of my daughter trying to clean the garlic press. <laughs> Amazing. That was funny. That's awesome. So uh, O stands for openness and it's little reflections just like that. So there are really two ways to go with openness. One, you can open up to yourself and that's through the common practice of journaling you can write down your strengths, weaknesses, accomplishments. I like more unique stuff like that, like something that made me smile, something that challenged me. Um, or what we did just there is you can open up to another person. You could make a quick phone call, send a text message, send an email and say, hey, I appreciate you or hey, you made me smile yesterday. So that's opening ourselves up, getting thoughts out of our mind and out into the world. That's the, the second thing I'll do in the morning. M, um, for the sake of time, we'll, we'll just kind of fly through these. M stands for movement. It's, it's obviously the popular one. Getting your body going, exercising, 
I do that more so for my mental health than I do my physical health. It, it just yeah. gets my, my thoughts flowing, uh, flowing and, it, and it puts me in a state of mental clarity. Um, F kind of goes hand in hand with that smile question. Uh, F stands for funny. So this is like the least researched one in this morning routine that I have. I think smiling and laughing in the morning is something that is so paramount for how we view ourselves and how we view our lives. Because yes, there, there are obviously serious things, very serious things going on in the world, going on in our lives. But I believe that the best way to appropriately respond to them as opposed to impulsively react to them is by not taking ourselves too seriously. So smiling and laughing and doing something funny in the morning, whether that's watching, you know, a puppy video or a baby video or a comedy bit or listening to a podcast or talking to a funny friend, um, that's going to give us a nice sense of perspective going into the rest of the day or, or the anxiety inducing uh, endeavor. Yeah, laughter is the best medicine and, and probably, life is kind of absurd. It probably does get some, you know, serotonin release, yeah. and, you know, and some neurochemicals that uh, we know that laughter does actually release yeah, yeah. neurochemicals. So that's, I love that one. Yeah. And then why it stands for you or your passion or your choice. And it's really the whole point of having any semblance of a routine at all. It's because especially when you wake up in the morning, with the rest of the day being largely based on what others expect from you and your obligations, this is time to be selfish. This is time for you. This is time to focus on yourself so you can bring that best you to other people. You can help people in the best way possible. You can perform at work in the best way possible, perform in school in the best way possible. So if you want to close out by doing, you know, learning a, a new language or learning how to sing or learning to play the piano, um, it's something that you call your own. It could be a hobby, a passion. Uh, mine is a secret handshake with my dad before I give talks or I used to play in games. Um, it's just something that completes your morning routine, is your own and rounds out that uh, part of the day so that you are focusing on yourself, even though the rest of the day is going to be focused on others. I can that. see how that's a, also, generally speaking, a, a good warm-up routine before you go and speak or do something that would, um, have you, your nerves might be a little high going right into it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really helps. And it just takes your mind off things a little bit. I've been, one of my things this year, my habits I'm trying to build is a more consistent morning routine because I feel like most days I just kind of get thrown into the day um, and lately yeah. thrown into the news uh, yeah. day, which is not a great way to start my morning. So this is, uh, and then some of this I do, like I listen to the Calm app. I yeah. have that and I've started using that again. Um, that's really helpful. Yeah. Um, I try to focus. And when you got to why at the end, I, I was thinking my why, like W-H-Y, like yeah. what is my why? And that's something yeah. that I'm trying to ground myself with every day, you know, writing that down or thinking about it. Um, yeah. Purpose. Yeah. And, and Shelly, there's actually in that first book, I like the news is because I, I, again, I thought about my, my parents and, and how I was introduced to morning routines and, and the, the news was always on in the morning. Like that was mm -hmm. what listened to in the car on the way to school. It was what was on the TV. So I actually put in a no news challenge on in that first book. And it's just a fun little thing that I tried oh, back when I was in Chicago, um, which obviously is about not watching the news. But 
I do realize that my mom's biggest retort when I tell her not to watch the news is, but I, I, I want to stay informed. So I totally understand that. I get that. So the no news challenge is actually to go throughout the day without watching the news, but you ask other people about what's going on in the world. So it does promote a sense of social interaction. Like for instance, yeah. I remember I, uh, I was in an Uber once and I asked the, the Uber driver if there was anything going on in the world. And he was so excited to be a teacher. He was so excited to teach me about mm. what was going on. And I just got to sit in the back seat and be a student and listen to him excitedly tell me about everything that was happening around the world. So I did stay informed. I did get my news fix, but I didn't have to sit there and glue my eyes to a TV yeah. with all this I, devastating news that was on it. I, th I feel like that's very Tim Ferriss. Didn't he do something like that where he doesn't have his zero media consumption and he only reads like newspaper headlines or something? Yeah, I, I think he definitely has something like that. Um, and I think my brother actually says that once with his startup team, they had a Slack channel um, called No News and they would hold each other accountable. And it's easy to slip into like, oh, but what is your media source? You know, how do you define yeah. <laughs> yeah, what is news? how you're consuming stuff? We just have to ask our 18 year old who's like on top of everything. Oh, wow. He's on, Is he? he's on Reddit. Reddit. Like he knows it all. So I'm like, what's yeah. up? What's going on in the world? Yeah. Well, you have certainly let us inside of what's going on in the world and inside your world. It's very <laughs> applicable to our lives, Jordan. Man, lots to celebrate. I feel better from this conversation already and a little yeah. bit more optimistic. Um, how can people, like, what is the best way for them to uh, connect with you and find you online? Yeah, so finding me online is pretty simple. It's website, jordan-gross.com. There's a contact button page. Uh, it's Medium, and it's LinkedIn. And mainly I'm going to respond to all three of those outlets. And then the other thing I, I did want to say is that I, I have a free gift for your listeners, if that's okay. Yes, oh. we love free gifts. Awesome. So I'll send you a, a link to a landing page. It's 61 of the best personal development books that I've ever seen, that I've ever read, summed up into one sentence. So well, like, I love it. That's and, awesome. Yeah, like we've been saying the whole time, I'm all about presenting new and fresh ways to personal development, um, bringing a little bit of creativity to, to personal development as well. So that's like a nice resource that I put together for people. That is awesome. Thank you so much. And we will link all of that in our show notes so that people have it. And we'll make sure when we send out our newsletter that everybody has access to it, to the landing page and can sign up. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank um, you, Jordan. It was a pleasure. And, and I love talking to you too. Yeah. I love hearing your yeah. story a little bit more. And I want to say thank you for being a part of this community. Um, you know, Chad's mentioned to me several times how your questions have, have probed and challenged in a really positive and healthy way. <clears throat> Excuse me. So thank you for just being you and being a part of this and helping us grow our business the way that you have. Yes. I appreciate that. I love everything going on with Big Self. And if I could be helpful in any way, I think I told Chad, you know, once once school starts, I might drop off a little bit, but I'm going to still try to be in there as much as possible, helping yeah, people totally. and posing good questions and uh, supporting the, the entire community as much yep. as I can. You've already done that. So thank you. Thanks, Jordan. 
Yeah, no, thank you guys. All right, you take care. We'll be in touch. Okay. Okay, thanks, Jordan. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Big Self School. If you've been a part of our growing community from around the globe, 54 countries by last count, we love your presence and are so glad you are listening. I hope that the process is making a difference in your life. We have one small ask that will make a big difference. If you would be so kind as to help our online visibility by giving us a review on Apple iTunes, we would be deeply grateful. Your support in this one small way will make a big difference. So we thank you in advance and we will see you next week.